0: This presentation is from UX Australia 2015, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. This one's a super easy one to introduce. This is Lawrence. He's at the at the Customer Experience Company. I did get that right, didn't I? That'd you be did? bad. Yes. And look, easiest title of all: personas and segments working together. I think we can probably figure out what that's all about. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Donna. Uh, Yes, so I'm from the customer experience company, and we do customer experience.
1: Um, I'm going to talk
0: about segments and personas um, just to set expectations. This is not a kind of how-to session. It's a bit more of a kind of uh, what's the concept behind it session. Um, And uh, and so what we see is that I've experienced quite a lot of confusion uh, in the marketplace with clients and people we work with about what is a segment, what's a persona, and why do we need both? Do we need both, uh, and so I'm just uh, going to try and aim to demystify this a little bit, um, and put some clear definitions around that, and then look at how we can actually use, you know, get the both of both, best of both worlds, and have them work together. Um, has anyone uh, out of interest had a project where maybe you're creating personas for a design project, and then you've got a marketing department somewhere, and they're saying, "But how does this work with our segments?" Yes, we've got. <laughs> um, and what do you do in you like that? What, what's the what's the uh, what's the outcome usually? Right, okay. Yeah. I, th- look, I think that there's a, there are different sets of needs in the business that different sorts of tools will satisfy, but there's always this unease that it's like, well, we're creating these things, we don't know the difference. Um, we're getting up to two sets and it's proliferation and so, um, so let's try, try and clear this up a little bit. Um, has, anyone, um, has anyone seen or used or created personas that have quite a lot of demographic information in them? Um, okay, we'll see you after. Uh, no <laughs> um, I'm just going to ask a, a quick question. So um, imagine you've got two segments or two sort of demographic profiles and you've got, uh, you've got say, a 20-something kind of urban and then you've got a, you've got a grandmother uh, type, of, type of demographic. Um, so the question is, which, which one of these demographics is most likely to use a smartphone to interact with your service? Anyone got an idea around that? Yeah, but so, so smartphone penetration is like 90% plus or something like that. Grandmothers use smartphones as well. Everyone in Africa has got a smartphone. I think that there's a common mistake that is made, and that is to try to attribute behaviours and attitudes to demographic segments, which in all the research we've done has been proven to be incorrect. Just because someone is a certain age or they're a certain gender or live in a certain place, you can make all sorts of assumptions, but at the end of the day, it's not really a strong contributor to how they actually behave and what they value. Uh, and the values they do have, they'll carry through their, through their life stages and segments that they move through. Um, so what do segments and personas have in common? Um, they're both simply ways of dividing up our customers or our users and so that we can grapple with them a bit more easily, um, so that we can design for them, so that we can count them perhaps, um, so that we can target them. Because if we look at our customers as being one kind of amor- amorphous mass then we don't really know where to start. So they both do that, but they do that in a little bit of a different way. So I'm going to introduce one key concept here. Um, and this is a concept that we actually kind of developed independently at CEC through the work that we've done through successive projects. Um, but my colleague um, Ashley here actually sent me a reference from Cooper Design from about 2003 that has a very, very similar framework. So maybe we're on to something. Um, but the key concept is this there's two different kinds of drivers, I guess, of people. So there's a situational driver or situation, which is simply where is someone at? It's like what are those factors that are kind of outside of their control uh, or perhaps outside of their care when it comes to what we're trying to interact with them on? Um, so things they're not going to change just, just for you. So it might be I'm a family with kids, so they're not going to change that just because they haven't got the right life insurance product or something. Um, and then there's intention. And that is a little bit more about what are people actually trying to achieve? What are the goals? What are they value? What are they setting out to do? And how do they want to interact? What, they, what do they want to prioritise? And so there are two quite different categories of things here that we need to consider. So our kind of position on this or argument on this is that situation is basically, that's your segmentation. So your segments are dividing people up by situation, and then intention becomes the basis for personas, which is understanding the nuance of how people want to actually interact with your product or organisation. I'm just going to explain this a little bit further with examples. So um, this this movie came out in 1983 um, when I was 10, and uh, and it's called Merry Christmas, Mr Lawrence. And of course, as my name, it. I heard a lot about this from other kids. Um, Now, at 10, I think I was a little bit too young to see the movie, and I've never seen it, actually, I'm, I'm confessing, but this image has always been indelibly etched on my mind for some reason. Uh, and when I started thinking about situation, it came to mind. So, this, guy, this poor guy, this guy's situation is pretty dire, right? It's like, it's like, does it really matter what his personal characteristics are in terms of the needs that he has right now? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter who it is, buried to their neck in sand with the tide coming in, they have the same basic need. Uh, a friend with a shovel probably would be quite helpful. Perhaps a snorkel. Uh, and so what we're seeing here is that the situation overrides any kind of intention in this particular case. By the way, anyone actually seen this movie? Does he get out of the hole in the end? I've always wondered. He doesn't? Oh, okay, it's terrible. <laughs> I don't know if want to watch it now. Um, okay, another movie reference. I'm showing my age here. So Dirty Harry, right? So, so he's, the, he's the cop. He's fighting for true justice in the face of a completely broken system, uh, and he'll do this to the expense of any other, any other sort of intention he might have, like uh, like furthering his career or something like that. So he's the classic bad cop kind of archetype. Um, and there are other kinds of cop archetypes. He's always got his nemesis, who's the kind of, you know, uh, the one who's, who's pandering to the boss and trying to further their own interest. Um, so this is a really strong intentional driver that we're seeing in the character of Dirty Harry, and that's a great basis for a persona or for, a, for an archetype, a archetype. So something a bit more mundane, let's think about an example we might have to deal with in our day-to-day life. Uh, so imagine we're designing the experience of buying a house. And uh, we happen to have done a few projects recently in this area. Um, can anyone suggest... So, so let's say situational. So if we're doing things in financial services, say um, health insurance, life stage, is usually a really good place to start because your needs change really significantly as you move, move through life, have kids, retire, obviously... When it comes to buying a house, can anyone think of any kind of good segmentation variables or criteria? What what is a situational driver which will change my needs in in relation to buying a house? Just have a think about it. Yep. Yes, okay, the need need to move. That will will drive the need to buy a house, yep. And assuming that you you have decided to buy a house for some reason, do you have an existing house you already own, okay, as opposed to. As opposed to investing. Okay, so so the sorts of situational jobs. So if you're a first home buyer, there are some needs that you'll have that will be different from someone who already owns a house who wants to then upgrade. In terms of the process you need to go through, in terms of any other what sort of needs would a first home buyer have that maybe an investor might not have, or maybe a maybe someone who's upgrading might not have. That's right. They're a blank slate, right? So they need a lot more handholding. So when we design the experience for first home buyers as opposed to investors or upgraders, uh, then we have to think about their needs. Maybe there's a guide that we give them or something like that. And we also think about what their what their ability to choose, what you know, we know what sort of house they're going to be potentially buying, but that depends on other factors. Um, what about um, what about intentional? What are some of the what are some of the kind of inside pardon me, goals um, or intentions that someone might have? And let's just focus on first home buyers just to make it make it simple. Um, what sort of sort of like kind of key goals might people have? Anyone got ideas about what might differentiate different sorts of first-time buyers? Yeah. Enviro-friendly, yeah, in terms of the actual house they want to purchase, yeah. Old or modern, yeah, that's when they're selecting the actual, so let's think about selecting the actual product or the house itself, and then in terms of, in terms of what they want to get out of that process. Yeah, now we're, now we're getting... Yeah, yeah. What's your? yeah so the only owner-occupier investor, I would argue, is a, is a, is a situation, right? Because they're, they're either in the situation where they need to buy a house to live in or they're in a situation where they have some equity they want to invest. But in terms of the drivers from an intentional point of view, then that is going to be, yes, maybe they're looking for the place that they want to create their family in, okay? But then other people have different drivers. So an investor might have a driver which is, I want it to be a financially savvy decision, so these are now intentional drivers, which is what I want to get out of this, this experience or this transaction. So here's a bit of a sort of, sort of simplified framework. There are a few other factors than this. So imagine we've got two kinds of differentiators here. We've got situational, so we've got our first-time buyer, we've got an upgrader, and we've got our investor. They, that is just, they're not going to change that. That is just where they're at. And then we've got intentional, which is I'm buying for emotional reasons because I just love this house and I just, don't wanna, I, I just can picture my future here. Um, If anyone's been, uh, we bought a house a few years ago and uh, some people are really clever at marketing houses to parents with new kids, I think, which is a really (laughs) strong bias segment. And they have these beautiful bedrooms all, you know, it's like no kid lives in this bedroom. It's like it's all far too neat. Um, You might have a practical driver, which is maybe all about amenity. And it's like, I need something close to transport. I need to have four bedrooms. I need to have a place to park my car.
1: Um, Or you might have a
0: financial driver, which is, I want to buy in a high growth area so I can realise a capital gain. Um, or get good rent return. So different kinds of drivers there. Now, what's interesting is that you can have almost any combination of these. So don't fall into the mistake of saying, well, first-home buyers, they're emotional. Because we know from our own research that there are emotional first-home buyers who want to create the family home, and there are financial first-home buyers who see this property as a stepping stone, and what they really want to do is make some equity and so they can go and buy another house. They don't really care about this one very much except from a financial perspective. So you can have any kind of combination of this. investors. Should be financially motivated, but some of them are interested in status. So therefore, they might be an investor who has more of an emotional driver around their purchase. So of course we take this and we turn it into an all persona. So we're looking at here as a, as a framework of how do we divide the personas, uh, but then we create the piece which creates the empathy, which characterize those personas. So it is the st- same tool you're familiar with. Just to sort of summarise a little bit here, so a segment is, it's got three qualities that make it really useful. So it's situational, as we've discussed, but two other things that are really important here. So it needs to be measurable, uh, because we're going to use segments to be able to kind of quantify things and measure things. And by measurable, it means that you must be able to describe it in terms of, say, numbers or criteria or categories that we can actually count and record. Um, And also, a good segment should be exclusive. And that means that if you have one person I can pick any of you in the audience and say you are either segment A or segment B I know which one you're going to be because you're either a first- home buyer or you're an owner occupier who's upgrading it's like you can't be both on the other hand, personas are intentional as we've discussed they're observable which means they can be defined by the sorts of stories and insights that you get out of observational research you can see them uh, you can see them at work. Um, But they're also non-exclusive, and you might have noticed this, is that you create your personas, and then you might go and talk to some people when you're testing some stuff, and you're saying, is this this persona or that persona? And people kind of fall between the cracks quite a bit. And people can even change personas on a day-by-day basis, uh, depending on the context that they're in. Um, Does everyone everyone kind of agree with that? Does anyone think that a person is just a persona, always one persona? Or who who thinks that personas can sort of change over time, or people can be a bit of each Yeah. We find find that people can can be a little bit of each. Um, So that makes them really challenging if you want to actually measure them and quantify them. Let's think about why we're doing all this, by the way. So we have to sort of step back and ask the question. So why do we need segments? Why do we need personas? So segments are really good for... They're good for kind of understanding needs on a practical basis, and so like the need of a 1st home buyer uh, of having some sort of guide uh, through the process. Um, They're really good for sizing because they are exclusive, because they are countable and measurable. Um, And they're quite good for targeting people in groups. So if you are in marketing or if you're in media and you have a message that you want to get out to customers, you can't rely on being able to individually understand them and target them. You have to actually aggregate them together, clump them, and then find the best channel to get the best hit rate on that. So this is why marketing people really need to have segments that they can then tie to channel choices and what have you. Personas, on the other hand, we all know what they're useful for, really understanding behaviours, empathising, uh, I think is a word that should be there, creating ideas, testing designs. And when we design for personas, we can't just design for persona A or B. We have to actually remember to design for all personas and have something in each part of our experience for all personas because we never know which one it's going to be who turns up to our front door or to our front page. Or it might be a person who has uh, aspects of more than one persona. I promised that I was going to talk about how these work together. I, don't know if, I think I've sort of separated them pretty well. Um, so one more topic here. Um, so we've gone from Dirty Harry to Harry Potter, uh, who's a marked man. I'm going to talk about how do you, how do you even start to quantify... I mean, the first there's a why. It's like, a, who's had a client say, these personas are great, I really get them, but how many of them are there out there? And wh- why do you think they're asking that? Okay, well, one reason is that people just love numbers. <laughs> uh, a lot of people in business in, in clients love numbers. And you can go with some great insights and you can even show them the video uh, of, uh, of the evidence you've gathered and they don't really believe it until you put a pie chart in front of them and say, well, that represents 60% of your audience. And they're like, oh, now I get it. Now I love it. So, um, and the other is that if we want to, once again, invest in a certain sort of experience or a certain sort of behaviour or a certain sort of persona, we need to know kind of what, what the payoff might be for that. So there is a need to quantify these behaviours sometimes. Now, because personas are non-exclusive, we can't just ring someone up and say, hey, are you persona A, B or C, and then chalk them up. But what we can do is we can go to the underlying behaviours and then we can start to measure those. We use a thing called a behavioural marker to try and make it a bit more accurate. Um, And this might be... So let's imagine we've got a persona who is really price-driven and wants to shop around a lot for something or other. Uh, We can ask a question in a survey, or perhaps through some analytics, and we can say, when you purchased this product, how many other comparative prices did you seek before you made the decision? And this is an an answer they can't really fudge too much. They either did or they didn't, so it's behavioural. And if they sought quite a lot of different prices, we can characterise that as being aligned with that kind of bargain shopper. And if they didn't seek any comparison and just went with the first decision, then they might be a different kind of persona. So if we put together a set of these markers, we can start to build a profile of our target group and start to quantify where the personas are lying amongst those. Um, So for a house example, uh, we might ask a question like, for example, when you bid at auction and uh, the price went 20 or 30 grand over your budget, what did you do? And if the answer was, I just love the house and so therefore I bid up outside of my budget range anyway, then obviously that uh, is corresponding to that emotional sort of persona. If they said... I, I just stopped bidding because there are other houses with the same features, or perhaps they said I stopped bidding because it wasn't going to be stacking up uh, as an investment anymore. You can then start to understand what's their driver. Is it financial, emotional, or practical? If we do all this, uh, we can put it together. And one of, the, one of the benefits of having a view like this, and so what we've got here, we've got personas down the side, so we've got our emotional, practical, and financial. M- might normally have a name on those. Uh, and then we've got our segments across the top might be a life stage. In this case, we've got different sorts of of buyers. Um, And we can actually quantify, if we do the segmentation and then we quantify these behavioral markers, where the personas lie against against the segments. Um, Now one purpose of this is to bust the myth, which is going to maybe exist amongst your clients, that all first home buyers are emotional, for example. Or that's the persona of a first home buyer. Because we can see through this that actually, no, 45% of them are not. They're actually sitting in other categories. By the way, the base hypothesis for this, so before doing the numbers, if you were to take a guess at how these numbers are going to come out in any combination of personas and segments, anyone got an idea of what the kind of default might look like? We've had quite a lot of consistency in this. So generally speaking, roughly even across. The base hypothesis is that every persona will be evenly represented in every segment. And then you see some correlations. I think they're actually exaggerated in this example see some correlations which you can rationalise, like first-time buyers are a bit more emotional because they're buying their home or because they, you know, it's a very big decision for them, uh, and you might see a little bit of a spike in that area. And we need to be able to prove here that the personas actually exist in every segment and vice versa. So why do we bother, once again, if we are designing a product or experience and we know that it really, really suits the financial buyer? Maybe it's... a. Uh, Maybe it's an equity calculator or something like that. Uh, We need to know where are we going to actually target that. So in what segments? Where do we actually have to go to market and get the most out of that that product or experience? Vice versa, if we have an experience that is targeted towards first home buyers and a particular need, we need to understand, well, what sorts of people do we need to be designing for? What personas do we need to take into account uh, when we build this experience? Um, So that's pretty much the theory there. I hope that I haven't lost too many people along the way. I know this is a little bit dry in some ways. Um, do we have a little bit of time for questions, I think, or are we? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's the first bit. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm usually better at listening for the, like, the arc, and I completely missed it. We do have uh, no, probably <laughs> like, a like, yeah, two or three minutes. Yeah. Okay. Any, Any questions, questions on it? So my question was about the matrix on the previous screen. Yeah. That looks like the personas are pretty exclusive. within, Like, they all add up to 100% vertically. So my question is, if personas are non-exclusive, wouldn't you normally expect them to to add up to a lot more than 100%? We're we're quantifying not the personas themselves, but the behaviours underneath those personas. And so we see a 55% correlation of emotional-type behaviours within that segment. So, that, so in that respect, it's exclusive. But any one person that I pick off the street doesn't necessarily fit neatly into one of these boxes. Okay, they will fit into a column, but they won't necessarily fit into that, that box. Um, Lawrence, you said the segments are exclusive, and yet there could be instances where people fit multiple criteria. Would you just segment that further, or um, would there some, be some kind of matrix that shows how they might cross over? Yeah, we, we should look, and actually, look, the first home buyer versus investor it might be a bit of a grey area. you have to define what that is. Um, but, um, but what you, you would try and design, this is a simplified example, but you would try to, to design your segmentation to be exclusive because the ways in which you need to use that down the track, maybe you've got a CRM and you're going to tag a whole lot of customers in it. It needs, it needs to be something that you can actually work with. Um, so you would typically aim for that exclusivity when you design that segmentation model. All right, thank you very much. All right, thank you. We hope you liked this presentation from UX Australia 2015. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.